Welcome to Salem Alliance Church. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org. This week's message is by Steve Fowler. Yeah, I, uh, I grew up in a uh, home of non-Christians, so my, my parents kind of grew up around church or grew up in church, but that didn't really last into adulthood for them. And so I wasn't raised with Christianity, anything other than uh, a short time at a, at a Christian private school. Uh, I sort of developed this mantra, which was, uh, I finally figured it out. And I would say this anytime I came to some, what seemed at the time to be significant revelation about something that was gonna, that was gonna fix the emptiness I felt inside or like, oh, it's just that I'm not doing this. And if I start exercising there, I finally figured it out. It's just my physical health or something like that. And just consistently over time being disappointed with all these fixes that I thought that I had found. I did not want to go to church. I didn't, uh, I didn't seek out a church. Uh, I didn't have any kind of, spiritual at the time that I could perceive a spiritual pursuit of myself uh, but it was actually a family member my mom who uh, started going to church after some hard stuff in her life my mom kind of knew that if she was just going alone and flying solo to church that that she would eventually find a way to stop going and so she asked me to kind of be her accountability partner as an atheist to come to church with her and uh, and just help her to stay to see what she was gonna find there because of her own journey uh, and I thought church was really dumb at first. Uh, I didn't like it. Uh, I had my own preconceived notions. And I think it wasn't until I started to actually interact with Christians who weren't the hypocrites that I thought that they were and started to hear the stories about people in the Bible who died for their faith and who, who really took this seriously and actually lived it. And that was really the tipping point for me to start to say, okay, this is something I can't laugh off. I have to take this seriously. I met with a guy who was our college pastor at the church I went to, and uh, he really just challenged me and said, you seem like the tension in your life really, I think you're on the fence. Um, you need to decide what you, what you believe about Jesus. I told him uh, all the things that I felt like I needed to do to become a Christian and the tests that I felt that God had set for me so that I could, I could become a Christian. And there was like this long silence over the phone. And then he was just like, you don't need to do any of that to become a Christian. Like maybe those are good ideas, but all you really needed to do is to believe what Jesus did and believe he is who he says he is. At, at the beginning, it was, it was really sort of an upheaval of everything. That was sort of the natural first, maybe two or three years, was just get it all out, like get everything, change it all. And then had a really rough season for a couple of years where I, the way that I was practicing my faith up to that point was really all about me and really all about the things that I could do for God. And I just couldn't shake the fact that I was I just couldn't do it enough to satisfy God. And, and it really came around to realize that sort of God's posture to me was a lot more about what he did for me than what I would do for him. And so I feel like now there's even been this component of the things that I cared about before I was a Christian that I felt so strongly in order to be a Christian, I had to just crucify on the cross. Then God's saying, actually, these are the way that I created you and these are good things when they're left in my hands. And so, so re-bringing those back and sort of handing them back to me in this new light. Um, and that's been a really sweet season of just like God taking the things that I thought I needed to just kill and get out of the way and showing me that, that he created me and this is the way that he made me to I feel like my life before was was digging these sort of spot holes in these different places and coming to find out that there was nothing there and moving on to a new location. 
and my life with Christ has felt much more like digging this hole and continuing to find things and it just keeps going deeper. So in both situations I'm still digging but but one of the digging times was so dissatisfying and so just this exercise in futility and this other one is this continuously unearthing new treasures and new things that are significant and it's this journey as opposed to just wandering around in this big open field trying to find something that matters. And I know a lot of people struggle with that and if that's you who's, who struggles with that meaningless, you are, your chance to find meaning is not going to be found on, on the, the previous side of the cross. Uh, God has resources for you. He, he wants to reveal himself to you and, and he reveals himself through Jesus Christ. And that will take you a lifetime plus eternity to plumb the depths. I appreciate Ben and his story and uh, just how uh, his his own uh, way that he encountered Christ. And maybe you can relate to his story. Maybe uh, you're on a journey. You're looking for meaning. Um, uh, be encouraged by Ben's story. In fact, be encouraged by what God has to say about that because uh, God says, if you seek me, you'll find me. Um, and uh, Ben's life has been radically transformed. In fact, uh, Ben's an RTI student, and he got on a plane yesterday to go to Toulouse, France, to do his international practicum with RTI, and he's going to be serving in, in, uh, in Toulouse uh, for the next six months. And uh, I was talking with his parents. They were coming to church this service today, and they, he made it, uh, which is always good for us, and we're sending RTI students across the world. Um, and uh, so, you know, God can do amazing things in our lives. I hope that encourages you. Uh, we started a new series last weekend, and it's called The E-Word. Uh, we have words that we don't like, or they're wrong, or they're bad, and so we don't say the full word. We use the first letter to say the word. And uh, the, the E-Word, we're talking about evangelism, and we're just recognizing that you know there's, a, there's some external and internal pressure that's, that we, we, it's placed on us. We put it on ourselves when it comes to this whole idea of going public with our faith. There's this pressure to privatize. And uh, so we're talking about why we'd want to uh, push uh, against that, that privatization of our, our faith. And we talked about that last week. Um, and this week, I want to talk to you a little bit more about the, the how we would embrace the E-word. Last week was why, and this is the how. What, how, how, how do we do this? Now, I, I, most of you know that I grew up in the East. I grew up in China and uh, Hong Kong and went to boarding school in Malaysia, uh, elementary school, middle school, high school, spent overseas, moved to the U.S. Uh, for college. And going from East to West, as you might imagine, was, was a bit of a culture shock. Uh, not just in, uh, you know, in, in culture as we all see it, American culture versus, say, uh, Eastern culture, but also church culture. When I came to the U.S., I encountered American evangelism. I'd never seen this before. It was, uh, it was shocking and surprising and just flat-out interesting. Uh, my parents are missionaries, so um, uh, you know, I saw them do evangelism. I just never saw it like I saw it here. Uh, I was in college. It was, I think, my first semester. I went to a concert with some of my friends. It was my first concert ever. I went to see the band Ario Speedwagon. Anyone uh, seen our, yeah, okay, so I've got some fans in the house, um, we'll talk afterwards. Uh, Ario uh, went to the concert, got out of the concert, was walking back to the car, and there was this commotion, there was a lot of noise, 
And there was this voice that was louder than the rest. And I discovered there was this guy. He had a bullhorn. And he was, he was shouting into it. And he was, uh, he was letting us all know, who were coming out from the REO Speedwagon uh, concert, that our eternal destiny was not a good one. And he had signs held by friends that talked about the temperature of that place. And it was not good news. And I, I remember, wow, I have never seen this before. So I stopped. I just watched interactions that were taking place, wondering if, oh, well, maybe there'll be some spiritual conversations. You know, there were conversations. Uh, I, I wouldn't put them in the positive category, but there, there were conversations. Just really, like, I'd never seen this before. This is very interesting. Now, about four or five years ago, I went down to L.A. to watch a football game with some friends from here at Salem Alliance, and the game was over, and, and I saw it again. Guy with a bullhorn, but this guy, not, now he was speaking into the bullhorn, and it seemed like he actually liked the people that he was talking to. And, um, and I stopped again to see if there was any conversations going on. And, uh, and I'm, I'm pretty certain that there will be people in heaven that they, they had an encounter with a street preacher um, in, in some way that was a, a part of their, their journey. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm convinced of that. I, I do have to confess that I, as I've heard people share their testimonies, I've never heard anyone say that as part of their testimony. But my guess is that God has used that in one way or another. But I, but I think that when we talk about evangelism or the E word, these are the kind of scenarios that we picture in our mind. A guy in a street corner, uh, you know, holding a sign or shouting to a bullhorn, or, or maybe you grew up in the area, you saw a Billy Graham crusade, and, and that's the picture that comes to your mind of, of what evangelism looks like. And um, here's what I want to do today. I want to answer a question for us, because uh, God has, we, we talked last week as we ended, that, that God's probably put some people in your life to spiritually influence. And last week we mentioned that, you know, there's, there's probably a couple that, that you could influence and you could begin praying for. Now, here's the question. We'll put it up here on the screen. This is where I'm going today. How can I have the greatest spiritual influence on the people around me? What's the way for you and I, for us, to spiritually influence those folks that, that God has placed in our lives? What's the best way that that, that could happen so that they could, as Lord led us, so they could be able to sing Amazing Grace? And see the sweetness of this unmerited favor that is ours in Christ. How could this happen? Well, let's turn to the scriptures. Matthew chapter 5. I want to read a, a portion of a sermon that Jesus gave. Uh, it's, it's a sermon we call it the Sermon on the Mount. And um, I'm just going to read uh, four or five verses here from Matthew chapter 5. It's on page 802 in the Pew Bible if you want to follow along there. Um, but what Jesus is going to do, here's what you're going to hear. He's, in this sermon, he's going to talk about how you can influence people uh, so that they would praise the Heavenly Father. And he's going to use two, two metaphors, salt and light. He's going to use those two metaphors to help us understand how this, how this can happen. So Jesus is teaching. He says, you are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. 
how could we take some clues from what Jesus is saying here as he talks about salt and light? How could we effectively influence, spiritually influence those who matter to us and matter to God? Well, in these metaphors, Jesus starts talking about salt. And, um, and this meta- metaphors are great because they add dimension to uh, what's being said. And yet, sometimes they can be a struggle because they can be abstract. And we really want to know, okay, so what's this mean? What are we getting at here? And some have looked at this metaphor of salt and say, well, it, it's, uh, it's a preservative. And salt is a pres- preservative. And you may remember or maybe you, you've read about the days before before refrigeration, and you'd apply salt, and it would keep meat from spoiling. Salt is a preservative. Salt seasons our food, food that maybe is bland, and we want to just, it brings out the flavor of, of what we eat. Salt could also make you thirsty. You could eat something thirsty, uh, something thirsty, something salty. That would make you thirsty. Uh, and, and so it, it, it does that as well. And so scholars, they've been, you know, the, all the, Frankly, all those things are true. I mean, hopefully we're living lives and people see us and there's a spiritual thirst. And um, some have said that, you know, that our culture is in moral decay and the world is in decay and, and the church is the preservative and um, uh, that we're supposed to season our world uh, for Christ. And, and yet I, I think Jesus is actually going a different direction here. It could be that. Um, but it's, it's interesting because what Jesus says, he says, you're the salt of the earth, which is a Interesting phrase, but Luke 14 gives us a little bit more meaning here. Uh, Jesus says, salt is good. And by the way, Luke is another gospel writer. He's just giving another perspective uh, of, of this Sermon on the Mount. And he captures Jesus' words. Uh, salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? Sounds, sounds familiar. It's of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, here's what we can do. We can sort of back into what Jesus is saying as Luke records it, because Luke says something interesting. He says, if, it, if salt has lost its taste, it's, it doesn't have use for the soil or for the manure pile, which means that salt that has its flavor and its, its taste is of use for the soil and the manure pile. Okay, what's that about? A guy named Matthew Bradley, he's a religious professor, an associate professor at King's College in, in uh, New York City, uh, is doing some study on this and discovered that in World War II, there, in England, there were some folks who took salt and applied it to the ground and used it as fertilizer for their beetroot crop. And actually, it, it acted as a fertilizer and it kept down the weeds. And then he discovered that in the Philippines... Uh, in the Philippines, there is uh, a coconut authority. Who knew? The Philippine Coconut Authority released a technology guide sheet for farmers titled Salt, Sodium Chloride, which is your table salt. Uh, and, and the guide says it's, it's an, a, a salt is an effective, cheap fertilizer for high coconut productivity. The guide notes that salt accelerates crop growth and development, increases crop yield, minimizes damage to plants, and promotes environmental sustainability. Now, according to the guide, between 1991 and 1997, farmers who fertilized with salt had a yield increase of 125% over the unfertilized coconut trees. So, 
knowing that Jesus is living in, a, in an agrarian society and knowing that he's saying the salt of the earth and he's saying that if it's lost its flavor, its potency, it's not good for the soil or the, or the manure pile and salt would preserve a manure pile that's used for fertilizer. What, what we could say, if we're trying to understand what Jesus is saying, is he says you are the salt of the earth. What he's saying to you, what he's saying to me, what he's saying to us is... You are the fertilizer of the earth. There you go. Be encouraged. <laughs> now, what he's getting at, he's talking about that, that you and I, people who are salty, who have retained their flavor, can actually be a spiritual catalyst for growth. This is what he's saying. And what this... All, Back to the question, how can I effectively influence my friends spiritually, the people that matter to me, that matter to God? How might I embrace the E word and in such a way help them understand who Jesus is? Friends, here's what, it begins with a spiritual potency. That we would stay salty. And that this salt is, is vibrancy. This heat of our love for Jesus the salt, the salt is, can actually not only impact who we are and encourage us in our faith, but actually as salty people in the good sense, that we could be a catalyst for others to recognize who Jesus is. And it all comes from tending your own heart. And we could do that on our own. We could spend time with Jesus and we could do that with each other in gatherings of church. But one of the, the, the great ways that happens is in community. And this weekend, we've got folks wearing green shirts are going to be in the lobby. And um, what, what a, if you haven't found community, that's a place for growth to take place as well. For, for you to nurture your own soul. So what, what Jesus is saying here is that you're the salt of the earth and you can't lose your flavor, which means you need a spiritual potency. You, you need to be able to be useful for the soil and to be that, that, that fertilizer, that spiritual catalyst. And then and he moves, I think he moves on with that salt, just kind of inferred that, that when that salt is, has its flavor, well, then we move from the spiritual potency and we, we know that the salt, think about salt on your dinner table. It's great to have it in the salt shaker, but at some point in time, if the salt is going to be effective, it needs to be applied to the food, right? And, and what Jesus is getting at here is you're the salt of the earth, and it's fantastic that you would nurture your own soul, but at some point in time, that heat of your own soul, uh, soul it, it, needs to, it needs to come out of the salt shaker, as Becky Pippert puts it in her book called Out of the Salt Shaker. The salt has to, needs to come out and this fertilizer is going to be you know, wrapped around the tree or put on, put on the garden in such a way that the, the catalyzation can take place. So when we're answering this question of how can I effectively spiritually influence those that matter to me and matter to God, we, we, we develop our own spiritual potency. We, we develop an authentic, genuine friendship with God in such a way that, that we could actually pour the salt out and it has flavor, and as it comes out, that spiritual growth could take place, which means we're rubbing shoulders with people who don't know Jesus. Now, in the classic sense, we know that, um, you know, take, take Ben, for example, the, the video testimony. Ben He's going to reach international students and business folks who work for Airbus in Toulouse, France. Now, if he wants to do that, 
He's going to need to be around international students and be around Airbus employees, which means he's going to Toulouse, France, right? Close proximity. We get this in the global sense of missions. And I want to just say that sometimes we, we get this idea, well, well that's, people are called to do that. Yes. The matter is, the, the fact of the matter is that we're all called. We, we're all called to either live cross-culturally, and sometimes you don't even have to cross geopolitical lines anymore to do that. We're all called to live cross-culturally or counter-culturally wherever God has placed us. Which means your mission field might be the soccer field where you coach. Your mission field, moms, might be your home where you're raising kids. Your mission field might be that construction site where you're an electrician or you're installing glass. It might be that classroom in which you're the teacher or you're the professor. It might be that hospital. You're a healthcare worker. That is your mission. That's where you get to rub shoulders. You get to take that spiritual potency that you have, you have developed in your own walk with God and in community, and you're rubbing shoulders in real life with people. And guess what happens when you do that? People see that you're different. You're salty. There's flavor to you. And it gets their attention. And, and, and then what happens is you start moving to the next metaphor Jesus uses. We got salt, spiritual catalyst for growth, and we're rubbing shoulders with people. But then Jesus says, you're the light of the world. Now let's remember that Jesus also said that he was the light of the world. But he's turning it around saying, well, now, now you're the light of the world. And, um, and light is, I mean, think about this. that we, If we were to turn all the lights off in the room and I was to dismiss you, it, it could be a little clunky, right? Literally. It would... It's just something about the lights on that brings clarity. And even in our minds, we talk about enlightenment. Ah, we understand. We've come to understand something. So when Jesus is saying, you are the light of the world, what I I picture him saying is that you, you, you are the ones who turn the light on in the room and give clarity and understanding. And sometimes that light is simply by how you live your life. It's the show of show and tell. You're demonstrating the good news of the gospel in such a way that people are noticing and and they're they're seeing your good works. In fact, Jesus says they'll see your good deeds and they'll give glory and praise to your heavenly father. Interesting, isn't it? That just by seeing us in action, someone could be spiritually influenced. But along the way, at some point... You're going to need clear communication. You're going to have to open your mouth and speak. And this is where we all get nervous, okay? Uh, spiritual potency, you know, tending my own soul. That, okay, that takes discipline. And, uh, you know, I, I can do that. And I can rub shoulders of people who don't know Jesus. But, man, the moment you tell me to open my, my mouth, this is when salt is like high blood pressure, right? It's like, no, thank you. And, and we all deal with this. And, um, and, but here's the good news, is the moment you begin communicating, you ever, you ever have those moments where you start talking about Jesus and you get done and you, and you go, I have no idea what I said. I'm sure I, I was either heretical or I totally messed it up. Can I just help you understand something? The moment that you begin talking about Jesus is the moment your advocate, Holy Spirit, jumps in. As John 16 tells us, 
Holy Spirit, he is the one who, who convicts people of sin. He's really good at it. And sometimes you know, we need to remember that, that that's, that's his role. We get to tell the story. We get to talk about, about what Jesus has done for us. But the, whole, the moment you open your mouth, whether you feel like you did a good job or not, Holy Spirit is there. He's convicting people of sin. He's convincing people of the righteousness of Jesus. He's convincing people that there is a coming judgment. He's, he's at work. So as you think about some of your conversations you've had and you're beating yourself up, relax. Holy Spirit is interpreting it all. And he is at work. And in some of those situations where you feel like you haven't been effective, please just take heart in the fact that, you know, even Jesus, his own family didn't believe in him. His own family was unconvinced. You talk about spiritual vibrancy and potency. And you talk about, you know, rubbing shoulders with people who don't believe. You talk about clear communication. Jesus was the ultimate teacher. But this is where we beat ourselves up. And, and really what we're talking about here as we answer the question of how we effectively reach those who matter to us and matter to God is simply we, we need to be prepared to open our mouths and talk about Jesus. Romans 10, it's a pretty well-known passage of Scripture. Uh, Paul writes, uh, how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? Friends, if we're salty in all, in all the good ways and we're rubbing shoulders, there's likely going to come a point where it, and it may come from a place of anger like I shared last week with my friend or it may come from a place of curiosity. But wherever it comes from, we need to be prepared to, to articulate who Jesus is. And uh, 1 Peter chapter 3 tells us how we can do that. Worship Christ as Lord of your life, and if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Which means that we, we, we can lack gentleness at times, and we can be disrespectful, and sometimes our conscience will tell us that. But that doesn't mean to be silent. It just means we, we need to, to be prepared to clearly communicate who Jesus is in a way that is hearable, which means we need to be good news as we speak the good news. And there's a journey there, but, this, but see, here, here's what Jesus is saying. Look, there's people in your life that you love and you care for. They're in your neighborhoods. They're in your workplace. They're in your city. And you would love to, to, to see them just call that amazing grace sweet. You would love to see them enter a relationship with Jesus. Well, friends, it's, it begins with a spiritual potency. And then it, it moves into relationship and just this close proximity. They get to see you in action. They get to see you, how you see how you handle frustration. They get to see how you handle a situation where, where you're treated poorly or you, anger arises. They get to see you serve. And they might ask a question and you're prepared to clearly communicate. So when you put all three of these together, actually a guy named Mark Middleberg uh, in his book, Contagious Christian, uh, says it in a similar way. But when you take potency and proximity and clear communication, what you get is spiritual influence. And, and that's the salt and light in action. That's the fertilizer, the catalyst for spiritual growth. That's the switch being flipped. 
and the, the clarity coming as Holy Spirit is at work with you as you communicate. Now, I, I have a friend, his name is Rick. Uh, Rick, I will never forget the first time he came to church. Rick came to church, and as he came in the doors, I could tell he had no desire to be in church. Uh, he was with his wife, and his wife had drugged him to church. And he was there to keep peace in the home. And um, I, I was talking with him after a service, and you kind of, you know, what do you do? And he told me he was a sports editor for the paper in town. I like sports. We talk sports. Uh, he liked to play golf. And I said, I, you know, sometimes I like to play golf. And so we struck up a friendship. We started hanging out. And, um, and, and Rick kept coming to church. He wasn't a Christian, wasn't really interested in Christianity. He was just interested in making his wife happy. Maybe you're here today. Uh, you're watching on live stream, and you're doing this because you're just trying to keep the peace. Someone drug you to church, uh, but, but you're here. That, that was Rick. And um, not long after, it was some years afterwards, Rick threw a party in his house, and, um, and, and a bunch of us were over at his house, and there was food, and we went late into the night, and it was a Sunday night, and uh, people were leaving, and um, Trina and I and another couple, we were helping kind of clean up the house, and I'm in the kitchen with Rick, and we're doing dishes together. And we're doing dishes and kind of small talk, and, and then he stops and says, Fowler, why are you doing dishes with me? I said, have you not seen your house? It is a wreck. <laughs> we're just hanging out to, to help you. I mean, we, we contributed to this, so we're just helping out. He goes, yeah, 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 I get that, but you know, a lot of people didn't do that, but why, why did you do it? And I said, well, I mean, we're friends, and I'm, I'm just serving you. And he goes, well, why, why serve? And I, so I just said, well, um, I have found in life that I, am, um, I find myself to be a, a pretty self-centered person. So one of the disciplines that I'm engaged in is to focus on others and serve others. And um, that will hopefully um, help me grow to be less self-centered and more other-centered. And he said, but yeah, why would you, why would you want to do that? I said, well, um, dude, you, you go to my church and you hear me talk about Jesus and one of the things about Jesus is that he came not to be served, but to serve, and he gave his life as a ransom for many. And I, that's the way I'm trying to walk in. And so then I, it was quiet, and I said, hey, would you ever like want to know more about why Jesus did that and how you could also walk in that way? And he said, uh, yeah, let's, let's, get, let's finish cleaning up. So we finished cleaning up the house, and it's late Sunday night, and Trina and I are there with this other couple, and Rick and his wife, and I'm, I'm just watching his wife, who's been bringing her husband to church uh, for a long time, and, um, and uh, I just take a piece of paper, draw a little illustration, I've done the illustration here, drew it out for him, and um, explain the gospel to him. Not perfectly, just explain it to him, and um, said, hey, is there any reason why you wouldn't want this forgiveness and this grace that Jesus has made available? And he looked at me and said, I can't, I can't think of any reason why. Do you want to receive this grace? And he said, yeah, I think I do. And that Sunday night, around 11 p.m., Rick entered the kingdom of God as a, as a Christ follower. Now, he was in his early 30s, and we're good friends, 
And in his early 40s, Rick died of cancer. And, and I look at that moment and, and I look at that opportunity and I'm, I'm so grateful that God would use something as normal as doing dishes to draw someone to himself. There are, there are ricks in your life. They're watching you. And as you walk in the way of Christ, they're, they're noticing. As you serve them, as you love on them and care for them, they see it. They see Jesus in you. And as you cultivate your own spiritual vibrancy, that potency, the saltiness, and as you come out of the salt shaker and you, you become a catalyst for spiritual growth, whether you realize it or not, you're rubbing shoulders with people in your mission field. And as you prepare yourself to clearly communicate who Jesus is, you will have spiritual influence beyond what you could imagine. And the kingdom of God advances with people who are salt and light. Now, let's take a sermon that Jesus gave and apply it to today, okay? We'll travel forward and future several thousand years. How do we apply this? The first way to apply this is simply to ask ourselves a question. What's my spiritual temperature? Take your temperature. With the understanding that Jesus, he, he knows we have the ups and downs in life. So don't go to a place of shame and condemnation. But just take your temperature. Uh, Jesus wrote a, a, a letter to a church and said, you know, that there's some in the church, there's cold, and there's hot, and there's lukewarm. What, what, if you had those three options, which one would it be? And then, and then as you kind of nail that, then what are you going to do about it? And again, this is a great weekend because if you need community to, to help you kind of just nurture your heart for God, they, we have all kinds of options for you. But we, we need, to, do need to ask, what, what's, what's our temperature? Uh, uh, another thing I would say is, is this. Save these dates, October 19 and 20. Uh, Michelle Umwin, she's our pastor of our outreach ministries, has put together an, uh, an, a night or a morning. You choose which one you want to go to. Calling it Share and Tell. She's going to talk about how we can have spiritual conversations, how you can share your story, and how you can communicate the gospel. You can come to either one of those. Uh, they're, they're identical on the, the evening and the, in the morning. Or if you want to double dip, you can double dip. That's okay as well. Okay? This is all about being prepared to go public. This takes work. It takes discipline. Uh, we got people who would love, love to help you. So sh sh save those dates. And the last thing I would say is, is this. Some of you in the room, are, or you put yourself in uh, the category of new believer, or you're still checking the whole God thing out. Would you consider joining an alpha group? We're starting alpha groups, and um, th this is a place for you to ask questions with other people who are asking questions. Important questions, like, okay, I, you're telling me about Jesus, but why is Jesus more significant than, and his teachings more significant than Buddhas or, or Muhammad's or other faith leaders? That's, that's a really important question uh, to be asked and, and, and to be answered. Or, you know, why, if, if there's a God, why is there so much suffering? Would he, why would he allow illness and why would he allow hurricanes like Florence? You know, that, that's a really good question. And if you got questions like that, the, the Alpha Group would be a, 
be a great place for you to lean in. And here's the icing on the cake. They have dinner every time they meet. (laughs) And there's something about food (laughs) that takes you places in conversation. Would, Would you have a conversation with somebody? There'll be people in the lobby who, any one of those groups, but specific an alpha group, We'd love for you to lean in. That might be a way for you to apply what what Jesus is saying. Let let someone turn the light on for you. Let someone sort of be fertilizer, a spiritual catalyst for you in your journey with Jesus. Let's pray together. So Lord, thank you for the many ways you've blessed us. Thank you for your kindness to us. Jesus, we thank you that... um, All these things we're talking about today, you did. You are salt and light. Uh, You left the glory of heaven and took on flesh. And in the incarnation, you um, lived a spirit-filled, spirit-empowered life, spiritual potency. You drew near to us, moved into the neighborhood with us. You came close to us. And you communicated the Father's heart. You made the Father visible for us. And you taught us the Father's heart for the world. Now empower us by your spirit to walk in that way, in your way. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Salem Alliance Church is a community of Jesus followers located in downtown Salem, Oregon. And we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. If you have a request that we could pray for, please email us at prayers at salemalliance.org. You can view today's entire service online at livestream.com backslash Salem Alliance.